the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this first weekend of April, 2022. It's always great to have you join me as I look at Vatican news stories of the past week, do a Q&A when there's time, and then bring you an interview with a guest or, on occasion, such as this week, a special. Now, my special this week is about the just-published apostolic exhortation, Predicate Evangelium, Preach the Gospel, by Pope Francis. Nine years in the making, this document concerns a reform of the Roman Curia, the Vatican-based central government of the Catholic Church. It was published March 19th, with absolutely no fanfare or pre-announcement, and only in Italian. We await news of the other major language translations. I look at some of the unusual features of the Constitution and its presentation, and, of course, dissect it to explain all the changes that will take place in the Roman Curia. The last such Constitution, Pastor Bonus, was written by Pope John Paul in 1988. And now the top stories of the week at the Vatican. Sunday, March 27th. At the Angelus, Pope Francis meditated on the day's gospel, and after reciting the Marian prayer with about 30,000 faithful in St. Peter's Square, he launched another powerful appeal for an end to the barbaric and sacrilegious act of war in Ukraine. He warned, war not only devastates the present, but the future of a society as well, causing dramatic trauma in the lives of the smallest and most innocent among us. He then cited statistics that show half of all Ukrainian children are now displaced. War should not be something that is inevitable. We should not accustom ourselves to war. Instead, we need to convert today's disdain into a commitment for tomorrow. Before the danger of self-destruction, may humanity understand that the moment has come to abolish war, to erase it from human history, before it erases human history. Monday, March 28th, was a fascinating and historical morning in the Vatican in many ways, with two separate meetings with the Holy Father and the Matisse and Inuit Indigenous Peoples of Canada, along with the bishops of their dioceses. As the Canadian bishops wrote, over the past year, a national conversation on the tragic history of residential schools in Canada has unfolded throughout our country. Some background. It was during an Angelus on June 6, 2020, that the pontiff shared his dismay with the world over the dramatic news, which had arrived a few weeks earlier, of the discovery in Canada of a mass grave in the Kamloops Indian Residential School, with human remains of over 200 indigenous Canadians. A macabre discovery, a symbol of a past of residential cruelty in the country when, from 1880, to the last decades of the 20th century, in institutions financed by the government and managed mostly by Christian organizations, the aim was to educate and convert indigenous young people and to assimilate them in traditional Canadian society through systematic abuse. Canada's bishops activated a series of projects to support indigenous communities in a process of reconciliation whose apex was this week's meetings of the Pope with three of those communities. Tuesday, March 29th. 
Pope Francis sent a telegram of condolences to Patriarch Ibrahim Isaac Sedrak of Alexandria, expressing his condolences for the death of Cardinal Antonios Naguib, Patriarch Emeritus of the Coptic Catholic Church, who died March 28th at age 87. Wednesday, March 30th. At the general audience, Pope Francis continued his catechesis on the meaning and value of old age, according to the Word of God, telling the pilgrims present how the elderly Simeon and Anna in their time were called to offer a personal witness of faith and trust in the fulfillment of God's promises, and thus build bridges between the generations. He said while the passing of years dulls the physical senses, at this precious time in life the Holy Spirit can sharpen our spiritual senses. How much our society needs older persons capable of recognizing and welcoming Christ's presence and the gifts of his Spirit. Francis underscored how a society that exalts pleasure and cultivates the illusion of eternal youth can easily grow anesthetized to the essential spiritual values of faith, wisdom, compassion, and care for those in need. The lives and witness of the elderly can ensure this spiritual grounding and teach us the primary importance of discerning God's presence in our daily lives and the unfolding of his saving plan from one generation to the next. After the audience, Pope Francis explained that Saturday and Sunday he would be in Malta. In that luminous land, I shall be a pilgrim in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, who was welcomed there with great humanity after being shipwrecked at sea on his way to Rome. This apostolic journey will therefore be an opportunity to go to the wellsprings of the proclamation of the gospel, to know at first hand a Christian community with a lively history stretching back thousands of years, and to meet the inhabitants of a country that lies at the center of the Mediterranean and in the south of the European continent. He greeted the Maltese people and thanked everyone who's worked so hard to prepare his visit. Friday, April 1st. Pope Francis began his morning by listening to the Friday Lenten sermon by preacher of the papal household, Cardinal Raniero Cantalamessa. He then had a number of audiences, including a delegation from the Italian Autism Foundation. World Autism Awareness Day is Saturday. And he encouraged a culture of inclusion, participation, and solidarity for those suffering from the disorder. He also welcomed President Duda of Poland. Francis ended his busy morning with a moving and also colorful audience with Canadian indigenous peoples, including Métis, Inuit, and First Nations. Representatives of each delegation prayed and spoke in their native languages, and, after the papal talk, danced, played drums and violins, and sang in the native languages. Numerous gifts were presented to the Pope, including snowshoes, stoles, and a cross made of whalebone on silver in a sealskin pouch. He gifted each group with specially boxed bronze olive branches, a sign of peace and reconciliation. In his talk, the Pope expressed his sorrow for past maltreatment of indigenous by Catholics and asked the Lord for forgiveness. He told the indigenous and the bishops who accompanied them he will be traveling to Canada, but, quote, not in winter, to meet them again. Those are the week's news highlights, but now, don't change that dial. Stay here for my special on Pope Francis's apostolic constitution, Preach the Gospel. This is on the reform of the Roman Curia.
This is Anne, Program Director for Siouxland Catholic Radio, 88.1 FM. Catholic Radio is more essential than ever. It provides spiritual guidance and insights and is a powerhouse of Catholic education, 24 hours per day, 365 days per year. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. Saints are the heroes of the Catholic faith. They serve as examples for all Catholics, showing us how to lead a more satisfying, more spiritual life in communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. View our comprehensive documentation of saints who serve as theologians and doctors of the church. It's easy. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. There are a lot of ways to pray. When I was in the evangelical world, we didn't we didn't like rote prayers that the Catholics prayed. Nah, we we wanted to say our own prayers. We thought that it was coming more from the heart. Any kind of prayer, whether it comes from the heart and is a loose connection of words, or it is a prayer that the church has had for centuries, is good because it is prayer. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. In March 2013, as the College of Cardinals met in pre-conclave general congregations to discuss what and who should be the focus of their conclave vote for a new pope, following Benedict XVI's resignation on February 28th, they asked themselves, what kind of man does the Church need at this time as pontiff? And importantly, what are the Church's needs? As in previous conclaves, the topic of renewal of the Roman Curia was always mentioned, the Curia being the Vatican-based central administrative institutions of the Catholic Church. It seems that many cardinals felt that the Argentinian Jesuit, Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio, gave the most impelling talk regarding a Curia reform. He was elected, as we all know, on March 13, 2013. Almost as much of a surprise as his name when it was announced that March evening was the March 19, 2022 publication by the Vatican of the much-promised and long-awaited papal document on the reform of the Roman Curia. Published on the Vatican News website with absolutely no announcement, no fanfare, no press conference, no leaks by anyone in the Vatican, the new apostolic constitution, Predicate Evangelium, Preach the Gospel, caught everyone by surprise, employs the Vatican city-state, the Roman Curia, and the media. Predicate Evangelium replaces Pope John Paul's apostolic constitution, Pastor Bonus, the Good Shepherd, of June 1988. The new constitution becomes effective June 5, 2022, the Solemnity of Pentecost. I'll look at content in a minute and explain some of the changes that this apostolic constitution makes, but, but first a few remarks on the March 19th publication of the newest papal document. Other than the constitution being a stunning surprise for everyone, even though it has been in the planning for nine years, we know that popes always look for significant dates to publish a document. In this case, March 19th is the Solemnity of St. Joseph, beloved by Pope Francis, and also the anniversary of the start of his pontificate. That could easily have been a date to intuit the publication of this constitution. But it seems no one intuited that date. 
Another remarkable fact, Predicate Evangelium was published only in Italian, not in any of the Vatican's traditional languages for documents, English, French, Spanish, Portuguese, German, and Polish, and very often Arabic. If you wanted to know what it was all about, you had to go to the Vatican News website for a very brief summary, or read articles by writers, journalists, and commentators who have a good knowledge of Italian. Maybe some even use Google Translation services, who knows. Now, was this published in what seemed to be haste, and without any fanfare for a reason? In fact, the 54-page Italian document did have a number of typographical errors, as well as one outstanding factual error, as alert followers of all things Vatican discovered, and that is the use of the former, but now obsolete term, extraordinary form of the Roman Rite. At the March 21st press conference to present the document, one official said, including the words extraordinary form in the new apostolic constitution, is a, quote, typo that should be corrected. Are translations into the other major languages still underway? Why? Why were all languages not published simultaneously? Was Predicate Evangelium published before being entirely edited? So many questions. Yet another surprising fact. As I speak, two weeks after its publication, this papal document has been published only in Italian on the Vatican.va website. This is where documents usually appear within minutes of their publication, but also in addition to all the language translations. Now, in a nutshell, Predicate Evangelium streamlines Roman Curia offices by reducing nine former congregations and twelve pontifical councils into new bodies called dicasteries. A dicastery is basically a department. It opens broad possibilities for laymen and women to hold ranking positions in the Roman Curia, including heading most of the new departments. It gives great prominence to both papal charity by creating a specific dicastery or department and to the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, placing it within the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. Most prominent in the new papal document is the place given to evangelization. In fact, Pope Francis merges the 400-year-old Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples, also known as Propaganda Fide, and the Pontifical Council for promoting the new evangelization into one dicastery, and he placed himself at the head of that office. There will be two pro-prefects, but the main prefect will be the Pope. Predicate Evangelium says, in fact, quote, the dicastery for evangelization is presided over directly by the Roman pontiff. A little footnote, Propaganda Fide was created June 22, 1622, so almost 400 years ago. Before I detail the changes outlined in Predicate Evangelium, it might be interesting to look at the history of what for centuries have been called congregations and the other offices, born mostly after the 1962-65 Vatican Council II, known as Pontifical Councils. In a nutshell, the nine congregations dealt strictly with matters pertaining to the Catholic Church—doctrine, bishops, priests, institutes of apostolic life, evangelization, education, causes for saints, divine worship and the sacraments, and the Eastern Churches. The oldest congregation is the Doctrine of the Faith, born in 1542. The Pontifical Councils deal basically with issues related to the everyday life of man—the family, laity, 
health and healthcare workers, core unum for charity, migrants, justice and peace, legislative texts, culture, social communications, interreligious dialogue, and the new evangelization. They're often called the PR, the public relations arm of the church, as they produce publications, hold and attend seminars worldwide, and participate in global meetings on issues specific to them. At the end of the 20th century, there were nine congregations and 11 pontifical councils, all of which fell under the regulations of Pastor Bonus, the 1988 Apostolic Constitution of Pope John Paul. Benedict XVI created a 12th council in June 2010, the Council for Promoting the New Evangelization. All pontifical councils have their roots in the 20th century. Most are post-Vatican Council II, as I said, created by Paul VI or John Paul II. Pope John Paul established several pontifical councils, either as entirely new entities, for example, healthcare, legislative text, and culture, or by raising already established secretariats or commissions to the dignity of a pontifical council. Christian unity, family, justice and peace, migrants and itinerant peoples, and social communications. In August 2016, Pope Francis merged four of these into the Dicastery for Integral Human Development, Justice and Peace, Cor Unum, the Pastoral Care of Migrants, and the Pontifical Council for the Pastoral Assistance of Healthcare Workers. And that same year, he also created the Dicastery for Laity, Family, and Life, merging the Councils for Laity and Family, the Pontifical Council for the Interpretation of Legislative Text, the Council for Interreligious Dialogue, and that for Promoting Christian Unity, are all renamed dicasteries. The Pontifical Council for Social Communications no longer exists and became part of the Dicastery for Communications created by Pope Francis. And now, in 2022, the Pontifical Council for Culture has been merged with the Congregation for Education. Now, in a real departure from Vatican Protocol, Predicate Evangelium was presented in a press conference only on March 21st, two days after the document was actually posted online. Normally, those events would be simultaneous. It was explained at the time that many of the reforms mentioned in the Constitution have already been implemented in recent years, even before the new Constitution was finalized although all the offices of the Roman Curia will need to assure their current statutes are fully in line with the final indications of the Apostolic Constitution. Now, some of those changes were in the form of motu proprios of Pope Francis. A motu proprio in Catholic canon law refers to a document issued by the Pope on his own initiative and personally signed by him. It does not necessarily have input from other people or institutions. One example is Pope Francis's February 2022 motu proprio, Fidem Servare, that modified the internal structure of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Another was Francis's 2016 motu proprio, instituting the dicastery for promoting integral human development by combining, as I said earlier, four previous pontifical councils. Also, Pope Francis's 2016 motu proprio that established the Dicastery for Laity, Family, and Life, combining the councils for laity and for family. 
At the March 21st press conference, Bishop Marco Melino, Secretary of the Council of Cardinals Advisors to the Pope, said the very title of the document, Predicate Evangelium, underscored the missionary dimension and core duty of evangelization, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, which regards all the offices assisting the Pope in his pastoral ministry. The bishop also pointed out how the Roman Curia is, by its nature, at the service of the Universal Church, and, under the direction of the Pope, assisting him carry out his universal pastoral mission throughout the world. At the same conference, Jesuit Father Gianfranco Ghirlanda, a canon lawyer and emeritus professor at the Pontifical Gregorian University, noted areas of innovation in Predicate Evangelium, including the increasingly important role of the laity in the Roman Curia, and the possibility the laity have to hold positions of authority and governance, while at the same time acknowledging responsibilities where holy orders are required. He also described the reforms and reorganization of offices regarding the economic and financial areas of the Holy See, in order to bring them up to the latest standards and to meet current needs. The press conference participants explained that the Apostolic Constitution marks the outcome of a lengthy listening process that began with the general congregations that, as I said earlier, preceded the 2013 conclave. The text involved the Council of Cardinals, established by Pope Francis shortly after his election, with meetings from October 2013 to February 2022 taking place under the guidance of Pope Francis and with various contributions from the local churches around the world. The text was sent to Episcopal conferences around the world and to ranking officials of the Roman Curia for their input, be it for corrections, additions, or errors. Little, if anything, is known about that input. Now, what are the outstanding changes in Predicate Evangelium, Preach the Gospel? Those Vatican offices, as I said, formerly known as congregations and pontifical councils, will all henceforth be known as dicasteries. The text emphasizes that, quote, the Roman Curia is composed of the Secretariat of State, the dicasteries, and the offices, all of which are legally equal. It also explains, quote, it became necessary to reduce the number of departments joining together those whose purpose was very similar or complementary and rationalize their functions with the aim of avoiding overlapping of competencies and making their work more effective. In addition to the above-mentioned dicasteries, the Pope created the Dicastery for the Service of Charity, incorporating what has been known as the Elemosineria or the Papal Almoner thus giving it a very significant role in the Curia. The Dicastery for the Service of Charity, it was explained at the press conference, is a unique expression of mercy, and beginning with the option for the poor, the vulnerable, and the marginalized, carries out around the world the work of assistance and help to them in the name of the Roman Pontiff, who in cases of particular privation or other necessity, personally arranges for the aid to be given. Another, quote, fundamental point among the general principles is the designation that everyone, including the lay faithful, can be appointed to roles of government in the Roman Curia by virtue of the vicarious power of the successor of Peter. The Constitution says, in fact, quote, every Christian, by virtue of baptism, is a missionary disciple to the extent that he or she has encountered the love of God in Christ Jesus. One cannot fail to take this into account in the updating of the Curia, 
whose reform, therefore, must provide for the involvement of laymen and women, even in roles of government and responsibility. Boston's Cardinal Sean O'Malley, an original member of the Council of Cardinal Advisors to the Pope and president of the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, speaking on another important element of Predicate Evangelium, told Vatican News for the first time, Pope Francis has made safeguarding and the protection of minors a fundamental part of the structure of the Church's central government, the Roman Curia. Commenting on the promulgation on Saturday, March 19th of Predicate Evangelium, the Cardinal welcomed the new apostolic constitution, saying it reaffirms the Commission's role in ensuring the Church is a safe place for children and vulnerable persons. Linking the Commission more closely with the work of a new dicastery for the doctrine of the faith represents a significant move forward in upgrading the place and mandate of the Commission, which can only lead to a stronger culture of safeguarding throughout the Curia and the entire Church. Now, there are many questions about the document, and only in coming months, and with the published translations of Predicate Evangelium, will we know more. Will we know the full scope of this papal constitution? One point, for example. In the past, the heads of congregations were always cardinals, and the heads of councils were either cardinals or archbishops. As of June 5th, lay people may assume many of those posts. In this regard, one observer wrote, there's a theological dimension to the bureaucratic shift. Under the older system, clerics, which is to say people ordained, and thereby sharing in the authority Christ committed to Peter and the apostles, could exercise authority over others. In particular, cardinals and archbishops issued orders to other cardinals, bishops, priests, and religious. But can a layperson, though worthy of attention as a fellow Christian, of course, exercise authority over ordained authorities? Predicate Evangelium does not seem to have carefully considered that ecclesiological problem. As I mentioned earlier, the Constitution says the Roman Curia is composed of the Secretariat of State, the Dicasteries, and other bodies, all juridically equal to each other. Well, what exactly does that phrase, juridically equal to each other, actually mean? I'm a very practical person by nature, and will close my overview of Pope Francis's apostolic constitution, Preach the Gospel, by looking at some practical considerations of these enormous changes in the Roman Curia. In the first place, you might even think this is funny, but just think of how much new stationery will be needed for new offices, all of which are now called dicasteries. Also, will offices have to physically merge, moving from one Vatican building to another? In addition to furniture, I'm guessing vast libraries and countless filing cabinets might have to be moved. So much to think about. But a well-worn expression says it best. Only time will tell. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.